This episode of Hit the Lights is brought to you in partnership with Sparks. Sparks is the only magazine for UK electrical students and apprentices and also helps support the next generation through annual competitions such as Sparks Learner of the Year and new for 2023 Sparks Female Skills Competition. Check out Sparks' Instagram at Sparks Magazine UK to learn more and for a one-stop page for all news, memes and more from the electrical industry. Welcome to another edition of Hit The Lights podcast. I've got a very special guest with me today. I've got Tom Brooks. How are you doing? Yeah, good Good to speak to you. And uh, yeah, industry's good at the moment, so happy days. Fast and flowing? Yeah, definitely. It's very, very busy at the moment. Um, we seem to have a lot of fingers in lots of pies and uh, it's keeping me on my toes. Yeah, no, I, I suppose we'll come on to that, won't we? All the, the different fingers in different pies that you've got, but um can, can we start by um, telling us what was your journey into the, I'm going to say electrical industry, but I suppose more specifically, potentially the fire industry? Yeah, so uh, early days when I left school, um, I left school with no qualifications whatsoever. Um, started the first few years of my life as a carpet fitter, would you believe? And um, did that for a few years. And then uh, I just saw a job advertised uh, at Chubb Fire. Um, and it, at the time it was for a fire extinguisher engineer. So we're going back now to the early 90s, uh, got the job and started doing fire extinguishers. Then from there, job got me doing all the other roles within the business. So my uh, toes, reels, sales. And finally, I wanted to go into the fire alarms. And unfortunately, at the time, there was no vacancies at job to do that. So I decided I was going to learn fire alarms myself. So literally, I bought a, a fire panel. A load of detectors, some sounders, and wired it up on my kitchen table at home. And that's literally how I started in fire alarms. Um, yeah, so that was it. From there, and I was hooked. So did did you get a, an opportunity with Chubb then to go and actually work within those systems? No, no, not at all. So I worked for Chubb for about 10 years, and uh, finally I left them. Uh, there's a chap who left Chubb just as I was starting, and... Um, I met him 10 years later and he was selling, it was only a one-man company, uh, a company called Linden Fire Services, and he was looking to sort of retire because he was he'd got a bit of ill health. And um, he offered to sell it me um, pretty much, I could pay him over four years for it. And, uh, it wasn't a lot of money. So I started there, mainly doing fire extinguishers, uh, hose reels and, and that side of it. Uh, but then slowly uh, started doing more and more fire alarm systems. And that was the time, so it was the early 2000s when I started doing a lot of training to do with fire alarms. So I used to go on lots of manufacturers training, uh, did the old BFPSA uh, training courses. I did some when I was at Chubb, but I had to pay for them all myself because because Chubb um, only wanted me doing um, engineering stuff such as fire extinguisher alarm systems and that sort of stuff. And they weren't interested in obviously putting me through any fire alarm training. So everything I did, I had to pay for myself even when I was at Chubb. I then, uh, say, 2002, purchased uh, Linden Fire Services uh, with the help of the, the previous owner. And um, it went from there and we just got more and more uh, business coming in and took more and more staff on. And um, when I bought the company, Linden Fire Services, in 2002, it was turning over just 32,000. And 
um, prior to COVID was just short of a million pound turnover. So well, it's it's quite it's well. Yeah, it's very well. <laughs> yeah, and we've not bought any companies out or anything like that. It's all you know historic uh, growth from the company. It's not um, say any acquisitions. It's just natural growth. How did you find, um, I suppose, I'm going to say use the word mentor, but um, I suppose, how did you get your guidance as to what training to seek next, how to develop that business uh, over the years? Yeah, well, at the time when I started doing a lot of my training, there was a chap involved in a lot of training with BFPSA, a guy called Trevor Boxer. And he's still around these days. He's sort of semi-retired now. I still bump into him now and then at the British Standards. And he wrote a lot of the training courses for a lot of the trade associations early days. And um, I don't know, Trevor sort of took me under his wing a little bit. And, um, you know, he'd always advise me. He would allow me to phone him whenever I wanted to. And, um, yeah, uh, you know, a lot of the influence came from Trevor Boxer, um, who is well known in the industry. Uh, most engineers of my sort of age will know who Trevor is. And, um yeah, so that, and he would sort of say, well, your next step really, you need to look at X, Y, and Z. Um, and I say, I, I'm grateful to a lot of the manufacturers over the years as well, because I've done a lot of manufacturer training with them where I've literally phoned them up and said, oh, can I come and do some training with you? And, um, you know, they've all been good as gold, uh, in particular Apollo. I've done a lot of work with Apollo. Um, they've, you know, throughout the, the years I've known Apollo, they've, they've always been very good to us. And, and especially, you know, nowadays with the training we're doing, um, under Zeus training, Apollo have been fantastic with us. So, so yeah, it was those. It was Trevor Boxer early days, and say a lot of the manufacturers have. I think they've sort of seen the same vision I have of we need to upskill the industry, and um, they've sort of, a lot of them have come along for the ride. Yeah, it's something I was going to say. Is it something that you think is majorly underutilised in terms of contacting manufacturers for training? Yeah, I, I do, and um, when we have people come to us doing um fire alarm training i'm I'm always saying whatever manufacturer you're using speak to them because i can guarantee they'll all have some sort of training program and it makes you better with their equipment and um and let's say apollo I'm, I'm not sure whether they're back doing um you know real training yet or whether it's still virtual after covid but they do some really good um training courses down at um avant i think it is where they are southampton anyway mm. Are, are, are Apollo part of the Honeywell group? No, they're part of the Helmer uh, group. All right. Um, but no, they were a fantastic. Um, another company of late where I've done uh, a bit of work is HiFi with the uh, radio manufacturer for uh, fire systems. That, and they do some really good training. So um, anybody out there who's doing fire systems and then and they're toying with uh, radio equipment, um, give HiFi a shout. They'll... Uh, take you over to their place um i think it's off the top of my head i think it's coventry Leicestery way and um they've got a full room there where they'll uh, you know assist anybody to learn how to use their equipment so manufacturers is, is massively underused i think by um a lot of companies and and it's you know it's, it's a fantastic way and one of the ways i sort of sell it to our trainees is or their bosses should i say is if you're competing against somebody for a tender somewhere and there's nothing in it on the price, if you can say, but all my engineers are trained by the manufacturer that we're all going to use, it's it's a big selling point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, I don't know, using a, a Mercedes technician to service your, your Mercedes car rather than just the garage down the road. So you know, I, I do really think it's underused in the industry. Yeah, definitely. It does increase specialism, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's where I started out. Um, 
my love of fire came from uh, working for Chubb and um, a, a lot of people knocked Chubb, but I had some good years at Chubb. Um, they always trained me well and, um, you know, I, I did all right from Chubb. Um, but I say the, the love part of it, it was fire alarm systems and that was unfortunately not a way they were willing to let me go. So I did a lot of stuff myself and then, say, like I say, I moved on in 2002. What, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced then um, in growing that company, obviously starting at um, 32 grand a year, whatever it, it kind of was? Um, how, how did you kind of seek on from a business side to look to grow? Yeah, it, I mean, early days, it was um, it was always cash flow. Cash flow was just a nightmare. Um, I was quite lucky when I started 2002. The banks weren't as harsh as they are now for people trying to get overdrafts and, and loans and things like that. So I, I was quite lucky in some respects where as I grew, my bank manager would allow me to have a bigger overdrafts and um, allowed us to take on bigger projects um, because as you grow, you need more and more cash flow. And it, cash flow is one of the major things that does kill a lot of businesses. Um, so I, say I, was, I was lucky, but cash flow was always, always tight. Um, one particular occasion where cash flow was really bad, um, sort of i took on a bit quite a big job um i was quite um honored to get this chance to do this job it was worth a lot of money and um little did i know it was being run by um a building contractor who was a bit harsh on his payments so we took the job and it took us three months to do the work um and then they the contractor took another three months to pay us and even though it was agreed that and then end of the project and at that point uh, that would be around about 2006-ish. If he'd held the payment up one more week, I would have gone bankrupt. Mm. So it, it taught me a valuable lesson. If, if anybody ever tries to give me that type of contract now, I won't take it on. A lot of my friends do. They'll take on big work like that, but we'll never take on, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of contracts because it's that one thing can take you down if your payments are not there and say your cash flow is king. Yeah, I think ultimately when you're only really making 10 to 15 percent or whatever it is, your margins on top um, profit, you're, you're risking everything for it, aren't you? And um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I mean, similar experience for myself was getting burned by, you know, 60 to 90 day payment terms. I don't know if you've had any experience with those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, a few years ago we did we used to work for a big national uh, company. I'm not going to name them. Um, and they were, they were all over the country. And when we first took the contract on, the terms were 30 days, and they were, they were good at that 30 days. And we used to have uh, four or five people tied up on that project all the time. And um, overnight, they just said, yeah, our terms are now 90 days, take it or leave it. And uh, we suddenly then had to try and find cash flow to tide us over for two more months. Yeah, and partic- particularly when, like you say, if an assessment is that they don't agree and they underpay, that's 90 days plus the 120 that you you know you've lost <laughs> yeah absolutely so any i think anybody starting now just be very careful of your cash flow and um keep tight reins of uh, contracts um i mean even to this day we now if it's somebody we've never dealt with before we, we always have half the money up front or we don't work for them because we've had those problems so many times over the years um so yeah we, I'm, I'm in a fortunate position now on that side of the business that uh, we can pick and choose a little bit more and um and it is hard for the yeah you know, the, the young guys starting out where they're taking on this job because yes it's worth money but they are taking a risk there 
Mm, no, definitely. So one one of the things then, obviously, so progressing in, you know, the company is obviously one thing, but you, you've continued to um, further educate yourself as well. Uh, I understand you went on to complete um, a master's and a PhD. So how, how did you kind of facilitate that amongst everything else? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I left school with nothing, I'll be honest with you. Um, and it was only really when I started getting heavily into fire alarms and systems and I knew I needed to upskill. So I started doing a lot of the city and guilds uh, electrical qualifications um, uh, because at the time, and you, you may or may not remember back, but some of the people listening will, there was no formal qualifications for fire alarm engineers probably in the 90s. Um, they only really came through in the late sort of 2016s, 14s to 16s, something like that. So any qualification you needed would have to be an electrical one. So I started doing these uh, quite a lot of the city and guilds electrical and uh, some of the EAL, EAL electrical awards. And then um, I got sort of heavily into doing risk assessments, fire risk assessments. So I, I took all the NEBOSH uh, qualifications and the fire one. And then that led to me doing a, um, a BSc in occupational health and safety. And um, although it was fine, it wasn't my love. And I could, I could see there's potential massive risk there in, in risk assessments. Um, so then I just, I just got a chance to take a, a master's degree in uh, management at the University of South Wales. And I thought, yeah, I can do that. Um, a little bit naively at the time, I signed up to do it in 18 months. And um, yeah, it, uh, it nearly crucified me for those 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that's, that's quite a lot of work to, to cram down. Yeah, so so I did. I, I got it and I passed it. And in uh, 2013, I graduated from uh, south wales and then yeah recently i've just been doing a because i've got the masters in management um i've got the opportunity to do a phd again in management which i'm i'm just doing my final um projects on it so the 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 marks i've got already i've i've got enough to pass it but i'm just doing the final one which i'm hoping to you know, give me the higher higher grading in it so that should be done in the next week or two what, what what keeps you dry what you know what's the driver for you um to continue you know going up and doing all of this extra education um i think and i was talking to this um with shelly my my missus earlier and it was one about some of the lads at school and the school i went to it, there was a lot of um bad lads there the only reason i got to go to that school is my family moved to the, that area at at that certain time when I was starting senior school and it was the only school that had got a place so that's where I ended up and um, all the lads who were there a lot of them didn't get very good qualifications but literally all my friends that I know are in the trades they've got their own businesses or you know the, the carpenters or plumbers or something like that and um, I just think sometimes schools let you down not all kids are academics some are logical thinkers or you know should be sort of learning trades so but I knew from an early age that the school I was at, the maximum grade I could get at that time, I don't know if you remember CSEs, I don't think you're old enough for that, but um, that, that school, the highest grade you could get was a grade three CSE, which wasn't even a O level. So I, I got four real poor uh, grades from there. But when I left there, I thought well, I was quite good at maths. So literally, I went to night school after I'd left school and um, got an O level in maths just doing night school because I, I just knew I could do it and I think it's just been that drive from when I've been a from when I was younger 
not expecting to pass anything. Um, and then as I've sort of became more successful at qualifications, and I've just thought, yeah, I want to do some more. And um, very, very recently, I've just been awarded chartered engineer status on my fire alarm uh, criteria, which is, as far as I'm aware, the first person to be uh, made a chartered engineer solely on what he does fire alarms wise. Most of the others do it in some other engineer, you know, um, chartered engineering works. But so, you know, I'm quite proud of that one. And congratulations. Yeah, so um, that's through uh, the Institute of Engineering Technology, and they are really keen on um, pushing more and more fire alarm engineers um, through this route because, uh, same as me, they can see that fire alarm engineers have had a bit, a bit of a rough engineer, uh, sorry, rough life. Um, for a start, people don't like calling them an engineer; they they wanted to be called a technician. Um, and I've always found that offensive as a younger guy. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to prove that I can be an engineer. And let's um, say IET are sort of on the same page that although these guys may not have the actual um, engineering master's degrees and things like that, but a lot of them are working on technical systems that are at that level. So, um, you know, fair play to IET. They really are sort of trying to look after people in the fire alarm industry. There's obviously been a lot of um, emphasis on it. I, I would say Grenfell probably was a, a big turning point as well. And obviously we've had all the competence um discussions around that as well do you think that's playing a big part of it oh absolutely i mean um early days so 2018 i was um asked if i would um, take part in working group two uh, post grenfell and working group four which is working group two is the installation um, part of high-risk buildings and um, working group four risk assessors but the, my main event was working group two and that's the part i was involved in is all about competency of fire alarm engineers and people it's a shame the government haven't pushed it more because the general public and, build, and business owners can see that that's a massive problem but we we just need more emphasis i think from the government but but without a doubt it has focused people's minds more and i think if some, a few prosecutions come from it um, it will focus it more. So, you know, sadly, these people all die, but hopefully a little bit of good will come out of that where, you know, we can make buildings safer in the future. Yeah, definitely. We, we kind of touched on, um, obviously, potentially where the school system failed, failed you. Um, do you think those potential problems still exist within the school system? And I know the education in terms of qualifications might vary slightly from back in the 90s, but... Do you think those fundamental principles still exist? Yeah, I, I mean they're trying to address it with the the T levels a little bit, um, which I'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm always the optimist. I'm hopeful that the T levels may encourage people to go into trades who are not academic. Um, you know that's my hope for that. Um, yeah, I do think things have changed from when I was at school, which you said the 90s. It was actually the 80s. So um, yeah, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I mean, in my day, nobody ever got tested for things such as dyslexia and or anything like that. You were just called the thick kid and you were pushed to the back of the class. So things have changed where schools now, you know, do look at these things, you know, the guys who've got ADHD and, and you know, other issues like this and, and there's more help for them. But I still think, and I'm not saying it's the school system, it, it's possibly a government level where the schools have got to do a set criteria and, and a curriculum. And sometimes, uh, you know, people who are not academic, that's where they struggle. And I think that will still happen for quite a while yet. Mm. 
yeah obviously one of the other things as well is we've kind of touched on it very briefly but you uh have started the business with zeus yeah so where zeus came from um I do quite a bit of work with the British Fire Consortium, or I have done historically. Um, there's the probably the third largest uh, fire trade association, mainly aimed at small to medium enterprises. And it's it's for company owners um, that don't want to get involved with the mainstream um, trade associations. And it's where they can all meet and, and, and get a sort of uh, more information, training, etc. And <clears throat> round about... I don't know, maybe 2009-ish, something like that. I started doing a, uh, more and more work with the British Fire Consortium. I, I was on their board at the time. And uh, myself and a chap called Graham Newman, who's still the president there, and another guy, uh, Colin um, Rhodes, we decided that we, we ought to try and improve their, their fire alarm uh, training offering, um, which it did improve at that point. And then finally around 2017, they asked me if I would take over doing it completely and I said the only criteria I've got is that you allow me to do practical training because up to that point every single fire alarm training course I'd ever been on and all the trade associations just to uh, sit in the classroom with PowerPoint and no actual practical skills so it was around 2016-17 that British Fire Consortium asked me to do that and we we started doing um, you know their training courses but with practical so everybody who ever since 2017 has done a British Fire Consortium fire alarm course has actually wired up a fire panel uh, tested it um, done fault finding on it and it sort of led from there really to Zeus um, I bought the warehouse we're in now um, early 2018-ish um, it was a derelict warehouse because um, at the time I just couldn't find anywhere in Lincoln um, so we, we sort of improved it all and um Originally, we just built one training room, and the plan was that we'd do the British Fire Consortium courses here. In the meantime, I was in touch with EAL, uh, one of the uh, largest awarding bodies in the country. Um, they award more trade uh, qualifications than any other body. Um, they're a bit like City and Guilds, that sort of thing. Yeah. And um, I spoke to a, a really good guy there, a chap called Kevin Sparrow, about who, is, who does a lot of their exam work. I said, is there a way we can do... A level three fire alarm qualification and um he looked into it and said yeah we can we can get that done so over the next uh it was about 2018 so it was probably august 2019 we launched the uh, bs 5839 part one level three fire alarm course uh, sorry exam and um we started doing it here in lincoln and as soon as we advertised it it was just the courses were full all the time to such an extent that we ended up having to extend and build an, another training room and a, an exam room relatively quickly. Um, October, November time, 2019, um, EAL um, were awarded qualification of the year for that qualification. And that was at the um, Federation of Awarding Bodies uh, Awards, which is the, the major um, federation for awarding bodies, such as City and Guilds, etc. And so it won the qualification of the year, and that was against all qualifications, not just fire ones. It was, it was, you know, it was a really big achievement for it, for what we'd we'd got going. Mm. Um, and I say from there on, it's just got bigger and bigger, and more and more people um, seem to know about us. We're quite um, active on LinkedIn and some of the social media. And if anybody looks us up, you'll see we, we, the amount of positive feedback we've got. Um, 
is really good. And I say it's just grown and grown and grown. Whereas now, um, after Christmas, we're able to take on another trainer because we're, we're that, that busy with it. And um, since then, EAL, um, again, working with uh, Kevin Sparrow, we've uh, developed a uh, part six qualification that we will be running here alongside the part one qualification. So as they come here for a, a week training, the, the plan is to get them through a part one exam as well as a part six uh, fire alarm exam. Um, so yeah, so th- you know that's the next step for us. Um, after that, uh, possibly an emergency light qualification. But um, again, I, I do feel that we're going to be so busy with this new qualification that um, you know it may be a little while before we get anything else going. Because every time we launch anything, it, we just get snowed under, and um, we've got bookings now for June, July next year. Oh, that's very good. <laughs> it, it, it is good, and it's nice to be so busy. But sometimes, you know, we miss people because they want somebody trained now. And um, I think the early space we've got at the moment is about February for just a single space. Mm. So that's why we need to expand. Do you find the people attending uh, are already predominantly in the fire industry, or are you finding that you've got a, a more of a crossover now because of the the fact that you've got this qualification? Uh, we get a really good mix here. I mean, we still do training f- courses for the British Fire Consortium. So one week a, a month, either myself or Buddy, who's the other trainer here, will uh, do a British Fire Consortium course, and that could be could be elsewhere. So they'll they'll be predominantly people from the fire industry from that trade association. But here at Zeus, we get a lot of electricians come in that have decided. Yeah, they've got the the physical skills because they, you know they're fully qualified electricians, but they just want that extra bit to know exactly where all the detectors go, the legislation behind it, uh, any regulations, and really so they can tidy up what they're doing and and be happy to sign it all off, um, you know, correctly with the the correct certification, etc. Um, and we do get a lot of fire companies uh, sending their engineers, so we've got quite a few of the big. Um, fire protection companies throughout the, the country that send all their engineers to us um, any new starters or they may have a program of um, qualifying their uh, you know the their existing workforce um, i think the oldest chap we've had is was 63 i think he was who'd been on the tools for nearly 30 years i think so all ages but we do get new starters so we've even had people quite regularly turn up and it's their first day at that company no, yeah. I mean, you obviously mentioned there you, you have quite a lot of electricians. How, how do you kind of capture the interfaces with like BS7671 as part of the training? Because obviously it's not necessarily part of the scope, but it, it may be a, an important piece of information to pass on. Yeah, what a lot of fire alarm engineers or fire alarm companies don't realise is um, 5839 and 7671, both are intertwined and they both state that you should use parts of each other. So... I mean, I, you, on uh, the Wednesday when we're talking about installation, I normally start off with, why is there only three clauses in 5839 on installation? Is it not important? Mm. And the reason is because a lot of what we install should be installed to 7671. So this is where you need the mix of a, the electrical background as well as the fire background because it's sort of intertwined. If you're running a system, the cable work's got to be to 7671. And the parts that are in 5839 are normally the differences or you know the bits we want doing extra in there so uh, to me the electricians um you know are a good starting point because they've got all the physical skills they, they know exactly how to put cable tray up and uh, run cables so it's just really the technicalities with that whereas it can sometimes be a little bit more tricky with 
Um, people come in from, I don't know, say the, the company is predominantly a fire extinguisher company and they decided they want to go into fire alarms. They often don't realise how much of 7671 is involved in, in fire alarm installation. Do you, do you find the selection of the, the products as well? Because obviously you, you've mentioned and I've seen on some of your social media posts as well, you know, you, you've got the, the booths and, and the equipment. Do you have to be selective on what products that you provide as part of the the assessments and stuff so that you kind of it's more universal experience yeah we i mean we, we always get and, and you know i thank the manufacturers you truly do um a lot of the manufacturers will offer to send us you know a panel or detectors but the issue we have here we the maximum we train in one room is 10 people so we need at least 10 panels identical to train everybody because you couldn't have pick 10 people on 10 different panels and you're trying to explain how to wire them all up independently so what we tend to do is we've got 10 non-addressable panels and 10 addressable panels and they'll all be the same manufacturer occasionally we'll mix up the different types of detectors with it but um on the whole we, we need 10 of each to do it um the two companies i say have been really really good to us is um apollo who supplies all our detectors here and advanced um fire panels they um you let us have all the um, advanced um, addressable systems so you know I've got a lot of loyalty to them but we do have all the panels here for the guys to have a look at and um, so we've, we've got some of the Honeywell panels um, some Morley panels uh, Fike have been good to us as well we've got plenty of uh, Fike fire alarm systems but I say when we're doing the qualification it's hard if, unless we've got 10 of everything to to actually do it on that side of it so it's more when we get onto the fifth day we, we're normally doing addressable stuff uh, and um safe isolation things like that so that's where we we get the guys playing with other systems um but pretty much through a lot of industry most fire alarm engineers start on the advanced panels because they're, they're quite user friendly and um we sort of get them programming them um installing all the cable work and the detectors let's say addressing them and then programming the panel downloading it onto laptops and then putting it back in and um so ideal world yeah we, we would have them doing half a dozen different panels but you know the time constraints we just haven't got the uh the time there to do it like that and i say we, we do get lots of offers from manufacturers and you know i do thank them all but we, we need 10 of everything if we're doing it and so that's why we tend to stick with the two the two lots we've got at the moment and just have the other ones on the periphery where the guys if they want if they ask about a certain panel we can let them have a play on it mm. yeah it's understandable obviously we've got to draw a line under the training somewhere and real world experience has to kind of take over doesn't it um yeah i mean i say we've got such a good relationship with most of the manufacturers um so particularly Morley have been uh, good to us and we've got a few Morley systems and, and some of their um, aspirating systems that we, you know, we get the guys using and having a look at. Um, so it's, it's more those sort of extra bits because we have some looking at beam detectors and, and other things. So it's not just, you know, smoke detectors, heat detectors. We actually have, um, like I say, aspirating systems, flame detectors, uh, beam detectors there so that they, they can see everything because... When I did my early training, and um, you know, bless the guys who were trying to do it, but I'd, I'd do three or four courses and not even touch a, a detector. Didn't even know what they were early days. It was only when I bought my own and had them on the kitchen table that I actually physically touched one. I knew the theory side of wiring it up, but and that's that's how the industry was at that time. Whereas I always said if we was going to do training, people need to be able to touch things. 
Yeah, well, obviously, like with the electrical qualifications, that's why we have the MVQ, isn't it? And yeah. the, the, the element. Do you see a, an MVQ style uh, qualification in the future for uh, fire? Yeah, I mean, there is. Uh, EA will do a, um, an MVQ. I think it's uh, in Northern Ireland currently. Um, but one one of the uh, um, things you've got at the moment is the Fire Emergency Security Systems Apprenticeship Scheme, which is the FES scheme. Um, so the guys can sign up to a three-year apprenticeship with numerous colleges around the, around the country, and um, they can either do uh, fire, fire and security, or they can do fire and emergency lighting systems. And um, it, it is a it is a good program. And the beauty of that one is there is um, I think it's eighteen thousand of uh, government funding for that apprenticeship scheme. And when they come out of it, it, it is a full apprenticeship. Um, on completion of that, the the guys can apply for a ECS gold card um, and potentially EngTech with IET. So it, it is a good route for them there. Um, and it's it's what where that started um, early days, probably about 2015. Myself and a guy called Pat Allen, who used to be one of the directors at Able Alarms, um, it was Pat's baby. He he wanted to get this apprenticeship running because he's from the security side. And Pat himself had meetings with government. And um, early days it was a bit frosty, and you know it didn't look like it was going anywhere. So I left Pat to it for a while, and then a couple of years later, once he'd got on board and he'd managed to get through all these hoops through government. He asked me if I would uh, jump back on board and uh, chair the fire side of the uh, syllabus to get that up and running, which we did. And it was launched at the top of my head, I think 2016, 17-ish. And currently there's uh, around 2,000 apprentices, apprentices on that scheme. So um, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's good news. It's good for the you know the the new guys to industry, but. I, my training, I tend to deal with the guys who are that little bit older and been in industry that little bit longer, or like I say, electricians that are either moving into fire or they want to do fire as well. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, the, the FES apprenticeship scheme is a cracker if any any of the young guys want to have a look at it. Or ladies, even there's quite a few ladies on that apprenticeship scheme. Obviously, this is the, there's quite a lot that you you do with your time. Um, you know, kind of not mentioning um, that you're on uh, is it Bafe? Uh, you're on the council there. No, the, I was I was on Bafe council up till tw- uh, 2021, but because I was doing a lot of other things, um, I sort of stepped away from that one because uh, I'm still the chairman of the Fire and Security Association, which if anybody knows the Electrical Contract Association, it's the fire side of that. So. I'm still the chairman of that one and I've been for a while and that does take quite a bit of time. Um, and that's also sit on nine British standards committees to do with fire alarm systems as well. So say sometimes you've got to choose where your, your time goes. And to me, uh, the, the base side of it wasn't as useful, I thought, for in- industry as sort of working on British standards. So that's sort of the, the route I went with it. Uh, sit on a one of the uh, European standards, which is for um, fire detection alarm systems uh, for the design, installation and commissioning standard, uh, which we've just about finished that one now. Um, that started just before COVID and we was having quite a lot of meetings in Vienna and all over the place. And then obviously COVID hit and it's been a bit of a struggle. Um, there's a chap called uh, Wilfred, who's um, an Austrian who's been running that and giving his dues. He's managed to keep us all together via Zoom and we've sort of got through it all but um, that was quite interesting working with a lot of foreign standards people. Are you finding in similar way with with 7671 is there a harmonization that is occurring across? Yeah yeah the, 
the good thing with the European standard is they do take a lot of what we do in British standards. So they are uh, they're not totally against that. Um, the German delegates normally uh, you sort of push quite hardly, uh, hard, sorry, to um, have more and more of their stuff in there because they, they legislate their, a lot of their standards. So, um, you know, it's all friendly battles, but uh, a lot of the British standards is in the European stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. What do you think the future holds for the fire industry? Um, assuming this recession doesn't harm us too much, and you know it's, it's toss of a coin with that one, but the fire alarm industry is very buoyant at the moment. Everybody I talk to is is very busy. The biggest issue we've got is um, product and, and getting it. Um, I tried to order only a couple of weeks ago some. Uh, IP rated outside call points and I was told it's 18 month waiting list on that so uh, beam detectors there's massive you know wait on them because of um, I think it's the semiconductors or something like that that's um, a global shortage you know so that's a bit a big issue with the fire alarm world but on the competency of it I'm quite hopeful Um, a lot of the trade bodies you know they're, they're getting on board with it all um, there's more and more people doing training and, and I see a lot of good companies that are, we work with that want their guys to be skillful. They want them to have more skills, be more competent. So whether it's just I get those people that come to us, that are, you know, are on the same page as me, I don't know. But to me, it just seems like company owners and industry in the fire alarm world want to be uh, more competent and they want to do a better job. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's going to be people and there's going to be people in every industry that don't want to do it right and they just want to make a, a, a quick book. And, you know, sadly, we, we, we're going to struggle to stop them no matter what industry you're in. But I think on the whole, the companies I work with anyway, they all want to do a good job. And um, and, and we see it with our, our place. We uh, started what we call the 100% Club a, a little while ago where... Uh, it's sort of encouraging that the guys who come to us to really try the best and if they get 100% in all the, the, their exams and the, the practicals, we issue them the 100% club badge and so far at the thousand we've done over the last year, there's only 50 in it, So, but we get a lot of 98% passes and um, I've been told that our centre with EAL has uh, got the highest pass rate in the country for our particular exam and it, it's, it, I'm sure it's down to what we what we do and our, our trainers um yeah helping the guys um we don't have set times here um if somebody comes to us and they're struggling either me or bud often stay here till six seven at night just to make sure they've got that day sorted and uh, you know they're not going to fall behind we always try our best to to get everybody through the exams and, um and I, you know i think it shows with the effort the guys put in when they come here no, I think that's a, a great message to, to end on. Um, hopefully one of good prospect for the future. Yeah, I, I foresee it. We've, we've got a lot of good young people coming into industry now as well, into the fire industry. So I'm hopeful that you know when I finally do retire, I've got a few years yet, but um, it'll be in good shape. A lot better shape than it was when I started. Well, it's been uh, fascinating chatting with you. Um, I'm sure I could probably probe you for a little bit longer, but um, <laughs> the, uh, I do have one last question for you, though. Yep. Uh, and that's what's your favourite movie? Favourite movie? Oh, it's got to be James Bond films. I'm, I'm an absolute fanatic for James Bond films. And um, I like the Daniel Craig stuff, but I am a, a sucker for Sean Connery. So, um, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, if you ask anybody who knows me, it's James Bond all the way. 
And any particular one of Sean Connery's? Um, I, I do love Goldfinger. I absolutely love that. I think that was the, my love, you know, my first love of the Bond films, and I do love uh, Goldfinger. Um, to such an extent, we've stayed at the um, Stokeport Hotel, and we've, we've done some of the bits where we've been in areas where it was filmed and things like that. So yeah, if you ask anybody, I am quite fanatical on James Bond film. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, I, I'm, I'm a, I don't know why, but I'm partial to Roger Moore. I think it's because it was on every Saturday growing up. Yeah, yeah, it'd be your, your era. So um, yeah, but to be fair, I do. Uh, well, I did like Roger Moore. Obviously, sadly died, and I did have um, the pleasure of meeting him a few years ago. And, and same with um, Jaws. I met him a little while ago. So uh, you know, just before they both died. So it's quite, quite good, really. But, and you but survived. No, <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, he's a big guy, Jaws. <laughs> it's been um, brilliant chatting with you. Thank you very much again. No problem at all, and uh, thank you very much. And thank you, everyone, for listening.